0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Thank you, Father, that you see us, that you love us, that you want us, that you sent your son, Jesus, for us. What a privilege, no matter the discouragement we felt in our lives, no matter everything we've gone through to get here today, no matter what we did last night, what we thought on the way in today, you look at us and you want us today. You thought of us. Above all, what an incredible privilege it is to sing that truth over our lives today. So I pray right now, Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would indeed speak to our minds and speak to our hearts that we would be empowered to think of you above all for these next brief minutes that we have together as we see your word of truth, as we see your sacred scripture. I pray, God, that you would use your words, not my words, that Holy Spirit of the living God, that you would equip us to see your gospel, to feel your gospel, to experience and receive your great gospel. We love you. We bless your name for a worship team that leads us to the throne of grace week in and week out. We bless your name that we get to praise the name of Jesus free from persecution. That we get to gather together in a building with our brothers and sisters in unity, singing glorious praise to you, Jesus, hearing of the word of truth. What a privilege. May we never take it for granted. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We trust you for today. Do it for your glory. Do it by your grace. In your name, Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God praise. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated, friends. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us, as always, to the throne of grace. How many of you are sick of 2020 illustrations? A couple people. That's okay, I got lots of them. Um, It was a year that gave us lots and lots of illustrations, right? So for all the disruptions that we faced over the past year, for music tours being canceled, restaurants being closed, all different kinds of things changing, right? Church services suspending, supply chains being destroyed, every single industry impacted for better or for worse, there was something that didn't change at all. ...there was something that no virus, no social, racial, political tensions could affect. And we experienced that in our own family very intimately... And it was that when babies were ready to be born, they were born. No one could stop it, right? If you had a, right, Mike and Sharon, you know too, right? That when when Philip was ready to come, when Shoshana was ready to come, we may not have been ready on November 24th. We didn't say, uh, hey, COVID rules, can we wait a week or can we do something a little bit different? No, when babies were ready to be born, they were born. That's just how powerful birth is that kingdoms and global markets and, and and countries were shuttered or brought to their knees, but when babies were ready to be born. They were born so birth is an incredibly powerful thing that God gives us uh, the right to witness sometimes right and something and there's even something more powerful though the natural birth and that's spiritual birth that's the new birth that this new birth that can be found by Christ's gospel and his Holy Spirit dwelling in us alone is the most powerful thing that we can ever experience because it changes everything about a person it removes a person from darkness brings them into light and changes their destiny. Changes their destination, changes where they will spend eternity. There is nothing more powerful than that, friends. There is nothing more important than that for us. And as we are, are gonna look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 today. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We've seen uh, that this reality of this new birth was deeply important to John. If you've read John's gospel, you know in chapter 3, there's this awesome interchange between Jesus and Nicodemus. Where Jesus tells Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And Nicodemus asks a great question. He's like, born again? Do I have to go back into my mother's womb? Like he's a grown man. It's, it's like telling somebody how beautiful a Picasso work of art is and all they've ever held was a crayon, right? He was introducing something to him that he never really could have understand because he had not been born of God at that point in time. When you've been born of God, everything changes. And as we've been going through this sermon series in our last week of this sermon series of the forgotten virtue, learning how to love again, we've seen this throughout John's letter that this new birth is vitally important to him. In chapter two, he says everyone who does righteousness has been born of God. In chapter 3 he says sin no longer defines those who has been born of God. In chapters 3 and 4 he says that we will know and love in word and truth and deed and in action for those who have been born of God. And in chapter 5 we see that Jesus himself who was born of God is the only one who has the power to give us the ability to choose not to sin and the only one who has the power to defeat the works of the devil and to keep us free from him. This new birth is vitally important to the apostle john it's vitally important to our king jesus and friends it should be vitally important to us today but john he, he deals with this new birth in a way that it puts all of humanity into context he looks at all of humanity and we talked about this maybe three or four weeks ago now where he says you are either a child of the devil or you're a child of god there is no in between. There is no like, oh, I'm in process and I'm doing okay. I had some good days, some bad days this week. No, it says you are a child of the devil in darkness or you are a child of God in the light. So that's the way that John looks at humanity and it's starkly different than the way we look at humanity, right? That for us there's there's varying levels of good and bad or righteousness or unrighteousness and we typically feel as though we're equipped to ascribe these levels of righteousness and unrighteousness to people based on their behavior. Based based on the ideologies they ascribe to, right? I've heard many people in the past year say like, well, you know, he's an okay Christian, but he believes this. And it's like, what? Like if he's a Christian, he's born of God and he's in the light. And that's our brother, that's our family. The new birth, being born of God, is incredibly important to us. The new birth makes you a child of God. That's the thing we're going to hear over and over and over and over again today. The new birth makes you a child of God. And if this sermon series has been sounding repetitive to you, praise God, you've been paying attention. Because it's been extremely repetitive because we need the gospel every single week, every single day. We need the gospel to be repeated to us. Amen? And if you didn't say amen, I need you to repeat the gospel to me today, okay? Right? We need it so deeply. And because the new birth is of the Spirit of God... Sometimes it's hard to tell, right? I can't look out over the crowd and say, yes, yes, uh, no. I can't look and tell who's been born of the Spirit just by looking at somebody in the same way that you can with natural birth, right? On November 24th, we knew that Shoshana was born because she was alive and she let us know, right? She was screaming and crying and doing all the things that are indicative of a natural birth. So what are the things that are indicative of a spiritual birth? What are the things that are indicative of the new birth and having been born of God? These three realities that we're going to look at today from 1 John chapter 5 and the first five verses of this chapter are vitally important for us and not just important for us so we can look at other people and say you're born of God, you're not born of God but so important for each and every single one of us because the sad reality with Christian churches all over the world there's people in church that are going to hell that have not been born of God we need to know for ourselves. So we're going to close this series the same way we opened this series, right? In week one, there was evidence that John gave us of how you know that you know that you know you belong to Jesus and you love God and you are in the family of God. So we're going to do the same thing today where we're going to give three realities of how we can tell. Evidence that we or others have been born of God. So... These three realities, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Everybody there? 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. If you don't have a Bible with you today, the words will be on the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible at all, please take one with you as you leave here. You need this, right? We need the Word of God deeply. So, three realities, evidence to see if we've been born of God. The first one's going to sound very simple, but uh, it's very important. If you've been born of God, you believe in Jesus, Point number one, if you've been born of God, you believe in Jesus. Let's look at what verse one has to say. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So again, this might sound very, very simple to us, but if you've been born of God, you believe in Jesus. One of the primary attacks on the Christian faith are its absolute claims, right? That Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, that no man comes to the Father except through him. And in in 1 John right here, John says that Jesus is the Christ And Christ is not just Jesus' last name, right? It's his title as well. It means Messiah. It means anointed one. It's the Holy One of Israel. It's the one that everybody's been waiting for. It's the only Savior, the only one that we can ever have. So by saying that Jesus is the Christ, it's a pretty big, bold claim made by John to uh, people that were in churches. So why does he have to make this claim is because people have been getting messages of competing truth. That many of us are are right here today, right? That even though this letter was written in the first century, meant to be circulated amongst churches that were in modern-day Turkey, we still need this today because... If you just go out in the world, you turn the news on, you go on social media, somebody's trying to tell you what to believe. Somebody's trying to tell you what is true and false and what's a lie and what we can bank our lives on. And John saw that in the first century, just like we see this today, right now. And we need to hear what the gospel actually says about Jesus Christ. Because religions all over the world claim to have the corner on truth, right? Every religion thinks that what they're, what they're preaching and what they're positing is the truth, right? Uh, so we have to understand, what does the Bible say? If we're claiming to have been born of God, we need to believe in Jesus and who Jesus truly is. Because, friends, throughout history and, and even down to today, humanity is deeply religious, and I believe that the world is getting more religious, not less religious. And not religious in the way that we think of it, right? If somebody says, oh, you're too religious, what do you hit them with? You're like, it's not religion, it's a relationship, right? That's, that's the, the, the Christian answer all the time that comes back. But it's true, right? So when something, like, in, in my kitchen yesterday, somebody was like, I'm not as religious as you. And I was like, oh, I'm offended by that, brother. We're like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I don't go to church as much as you. I'm like, oh, that doesn't make me any better. Most of my problems are at church. Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about, you know? Like, so But but as we look at religious, what what does it mean to be religious? It's simply a set of ideas or beliefs that someone would deeply ascribe to that would then lead the way that they think and behave, right? That's what religion is. And that's the way that the world looks at it. So I believe that the world is getting much, much more religious, not less religious. That everybody is ascribing to their convictions, and that's leading the way that they think, talk, and act. Amen? Right? We have the, the religion of the Democratic Party. The religion of the Republican Party. We have the religion of post-secular humanism, which we'll put a little bit of words to what that means. We have the religion of naturalism, that if I can't measure it by the scientific method, it can't be real, it can't be true. So there's plenty of religions swirling around today, just like there were plenty of uh, heretical ideologies swirling around in John's day. So John wrote this letter to people that were having competition of truth preached to them, right? We talked about these things a couple weeks ago with Gnosticism and Docetism and all these different isms that came out of like, Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh, right? That he was just some sort of ghost, and that's that was one, one thing that people were being taught, or Gnosticism, that if you just are spiritual enough, you'll get this extra special wisdom, you'll be smarter than everyone else, and you'll think your way into heaven. That's how you'll get into heaven by being enlightened. So John is preaching against these things, and he is telling these, these believers how deeply important it is that if you've been born of God, you must believe in Jesus. And believing in Jesus is to believe that Jesus is the Christ. If If you deny that Jesus is the Christ you have not been born of God and if you have not been born of God that means you're you're destined for eternal separation from him it's a big deal friends right it's it's a pretty easy concept to understand but it's perhaps the most difficult words that we'll ever hear in our lives this is very very important for us so you know we may think like belief today in Jesus is uh harder than belief in the first century was because there's so much else out there 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 were more gods being actively worshipped in the first century than there are today by name. Greco-Roman gods and goddesses were worshipped all over. If you wanted something, if you wanted to have kids, you worshipped a god. If you wanted strength and war, you worshipped a different god, whatever the case was. So the the issue is, what's, what's the problem with Jesus? Like, why did he have to get killed? Why was the Christian church persecuted? Like, what's the big deal with just one more god? Why not just worship one more God? If it's, you know, we've got some new name, some guy named Jesus, and we're going to worship him now. But the problem is Jesus is not just one more God, is he, friends? That Jesus is something different than just one more God in the mix of a whole bunch of gods. And why this was a big problem for then and why it's a big deal for us today is the same exact reason. That in Greco-Roman worship, the logos was very important. The logos was the logic or word or order of things, of everything that was created, the entire natural order. And what Christianity claims about Jesus is that the logos became a human being. He came and died on the cross so that sinners could repent of their sin, accept his sacrifice, and then become indwelled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. The Logos, the, the natural created order of the world living inside of us. The one who created all things, who all things were made to, through, for and by, lives inside of his believers. So you can tell that Jesus is not just one more God. right? That Jesus became a human. This human being came and lived with humanity. He ate fish. He suffered the death of a criminal on a Roman cross. He said that every single tongue will confess my lordship one day. Every single knee will bow to me one day. Every king and kingdom will will shatter one day as everyone worships me. That worship can never be divided between Jesus and something else or someone else. Not even Caesar, not even the president. No. That worship for Jesus is meant for Jesus alone. That this human being, the logos of the entire world, came to fix the world that was created very good indeed, but sin has polluted the world and everything and everyone in it. And Jesus came and said, I'm going to renew this i'm going to remake this that in my blood in my flesh on the cross by my body i am going to restore all things that's why jesus is not just some other god that he came to this physical world he said i want to make something new i want to do something about this and if you believe in me and you believe on me then you can have the holy spirit inside of you This is why we have to, if we've been born of God, we have to believe in Jesus. All these things that 1 John says about him, that he experienced human weakness, that he infiltrated sin, death, hell, and the grave, and came out victorious, that there are no things that can stop Jesus, no things that can keep Jesus down. He destroyed all of these things. So Jesus is not just one more God, friends. And if we don't believe these things, that all came straight out of 1 John, then perhaps we've not been born of God. This is why it is so important for us to understand. Because if you've not been born of God, what does the word say here? You're either a child of God or a child of the devil. Devil. It's a big deal. It's, It's not just words. It's not just, you know, a bunch of yelling on a Sunday morning. This matters a lot to us very, very deeply. So if you embrace this Jesus. As the Christ, the one who's been described, the one who's from the beginning, the one who is before all things, the only one who could have died the death that he died to bring humanity back to God, advocates for us before the Father even right now, takes away sin, has no sin in himself, greater than he who is in the world. If you believe in this Jesus, then you can know that you've been born of God. But if I'm saying all these things and you're like, yeah, I don't know, or I'm saying all these things and you're like, what are you so, why are you yelling? Like, it's a Sunday morning, it's Super Bowl Sunday, can't we just relax? Like, why are you screaming at me? Perhaps we haven't been born of God. If we hear that he is greater than he who is in the world, and you don't get excited, we may not be born of God. It's very important for us to understand these things, friends. So, and if you believe all these things, I want to take us back to my kitchen yesterday, where, where this brother of mine, this friend of mine, uh, he was like, I've got some, I, I want to tell you something, but it might sound weird. And I was like, oh, no, no, no brother, my whole life is, is hung on a God that became a human being and came to earth for 30 plus years and died a death on a cross, and he was dead, dead, all the way dead, and then came back from life, came back from death into life, and is coming back to get me one day. Don't worry nothing will sound weird to me, right? That sounds very weird. And if you don't believe, if you believe this, then you know you've been born of God, because it makes no sense otherwise. You can't measure Jesus by the scientific method, right? If you're dead, dead, there's no way you come back. That's just the bottom line. It's just done. But if you have been born of God, then you would believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And we should rejoice with great joy, because you're in the family of God if you believe in these things, and they are true to you. So if you've been born of God, you believe that Jesus is the Christ. The second thing that we're going to look at the second reality is deeply tied to the first one it's that if you've been born of God you love God's children if you've been born of God you love God's children let's read verses two and three by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome so this is deeply tied, inextricably tied. You can't separate love for Jesus, belief in Jesus and love for God's children. They are not easily separated. They cannot be separated. And uh, here, the, the English Standard Version and even the English language doesn't really contain everything that we need it co- to contain. And it would still make sense in a sentence. So we're, we're going to try and explain it a different way. There's two words that we need to understand. The first one is begetting. The second one is family. Family begetting is not beginning it's not the start of something begetting is typically a word that's used for reproduction that when a father and a mother come together and they do what mommies and daddies do and they love each other a child is begotten right a child comes out of them that they have reproduced or they have begotten a child and it is of the mother and the father and then it creates a family so As we look at these words, as we look at belief in Jesus as the Christ and then love for God and love for his children, that's what we have to understand. That if you have been born of God, you have been begotten by God. That something has come from God through you and has now made you part of him, has made you like him. The Holy Spirit of the living God is inside of you. If your belief has been placed in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the universe and you have repented of your sins, confessed that he is Lord, has been raised from the dead, then you will be saved and the Holy Spirit. Will come into you. God has begotten us as his children, as his family. And when God puts himself in us through the Holy Spirit, then we begin to beget his characteristics to a waiting, watching, and dying world. So there's like this 360 degree understanding of begetting and family. And it doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? I'm even confusing myself right now, right? But as as I think about my own family, I think here's probably the best way I can explain it. If you're a parent, you'll get this real quick right ezra is my son he's five years old i have another son judah who will be two years old uh next sunday and i'm ezra's dad and by the grace of god alone uh, i've done more good than i have harm to ezra in his five short years Uh, and ezra loves me he loves me because i'm his dad and he loves me because he knows i'm going to take care of him and he knows he's come from me and judah is also my son and ezra loves judah because judah is my son and and i am judah's dad now if ezra were to come to me and say hey dad I love you, but I hate Judah, I would say, nah, doesn't work like that, right? How many parents have had a sibling, a a, a child say that to them? They're like, well, I like you, but I'm not real keen on my sister. I don't really want to be around my brother anymore. Now, Ezra did tell Judah he was to go to hell at one point, right? So we're not immune to this, right? But we've had to let him know like that That's not how this works, right? So the love that Ezra has for me has come from me to him. And he's not allowed to not love Judah because Judah is also my son. So as we as parents have children, our children are required to love one another because love from us has begotten out of us into them as family, that you don't get to pick and choose who you love as a family if you're a part of the family. And this is why this is so important to us, because John said this, you know, just a chapter ago where he says, if anyone says I love God but hates his brother, he is a, you can say it louder, it's okay, a liar. A liar. Get mad at John, right? Just like Abe said last week, don't get mad at me, get mad at John. So there's a deep connection between these two statements. That God gave you a new birth, that new birth allows you to see Jesus, that new birth puts you in the family, that new birth causes you to love the family, and not just the family itself, but the children that are part of the family. And as we look at that as the church of Jesus Christ, it starts to get a little bit more difficult, doesn't it? Because God's children are not always lovable, amen? How many of you know a Christian that's hard to love? How many of you are the Christian that's hard to love? Come on, right? I know it's hard, but I know, I know it's not easy. So the question we have to ask is do you love the family? Do you actually love the family, or do you put up with them one day at a time? Do you actually love the family of God, irrespective of skin color? irrespective of political ideology irrespective of conviction irrespective of socioeconomic status irrespective of uh different food that they like do you actually love the family you can know you've been born of god if that is true but here's the reality that the church for the ages the church in heaven and this church too that's how we're going to act regardless of skin color regardless of ethnicity, regardless of culture, regardless of education, regardless of economics, if we do not all love each other, then we're going to have to say this. God's going to say the same thing to us that I would say to my children in that hypothetical situation. And I've heard that in this church where they're like, you know, Pastor, I love the church. I really love your preaching, but I just don't like this person. I'm like, no, it doesn't work like that. We don't get to do that. We don't have that kind of luxury. And God is saying, no, 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 you have not been born of me if you have hatred in your heart towards a fellow brother or your sister. And this is hard for us to understand, but this is what we have to understand as we wrap this sermon series up today. We've got to understand this. If you've been born of God, you believe in Jesus. If you've been born of God, you love the family. John presses this in in a couple different directions. So he talks about loving the children, but then he also talks about loving God's commandments, that you will love the family of God, you will love Jesus, you will also love the commandments. And you can't separate those two things, which was common in John's day, and I think is common in our day too, right? It was common in John's day that the Pharisees would say, oh, I do the law perfectly perfectly but I think myself better than everyone else, right? That I don't, I'm not going to associate with them. I'm doing the law the right way. I'm holy. I'm righteous, but I'm looking down at my fellow Jews. John is saying, no, you don't get to say you love the law and do the law, but hate your brother. That's not how it works. And in the, the same thing in the inverse. He presses it in from the other direction where he says, Again, talking about secular humanism where people would say, like, oh, I don't need God to love people, right? I can just love people that love me. Like, I, I saw something, a, a quote on social media yesterday where it said, I'm not mean, I just treat people accordingly. And I'm like, that's from hell. Like, you don't get to say that. If, if you're a Christian, that's not how we, no. Treating, if I were treated accordingly, I wouldn't be here, right? I'd be in hell. I'd be dead. It'd be done, Right. So as we look at this, and as we look at John pressing this in from every direction, that you can't just say, I love the Bible, but I hate Christians. And you can't just say, well, I really like Christians, but I don't need Jesus, right? You, you can't do that. That if you've been born of God, you believe Jesus is the Christ. If you've been born of God, you love the children of God. If you've been born of God, you love the commandments of God. And here's the refreshing part. His commandments are not burdensome to you if you've been born of God. But I think in most of our lives, we can probably point to someone else or point to ourselves when it feels like, God, the church, Jesus, all these rules, all these messy Christians, they're all just burdensome to me. That only happens if we haven't been born of God. So I think this, this should cause us to deeply evaluate. Do I love the world more than I love the Lord? Do I love my own personal comfort? Do I love my hearing myself talk more than I actually love Christ? Because when we do, when we've been born of God... You won't find these things burdensome. And I, I, I know this because I've lived this in my life. When I first heard the gospel, I was like, that sounds like a lot. Like I, have to, like, I really don't get to do what I want to do anymore? Like, why would I do that? That doesn't sound fun at all. Like, you're telling me about freedom, but, like, I don't get to go hang out with the boys? Like, I don't get to do whatever I want at night? Like, when I first heard it, I'm like, no, no thanks. That's, that sounds too burdensome. That's too restrictive of my life. It's because I hadn't been born of God. Because I hadn't had the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of me. And again, I can't stress this enough. If God, his children, and his commandments are too burdensome for you, you need to evaluate whether or not you've been born of God. Because again, there's a lot of people in church that are not born of God. Just because we come here on a Sunday does not mean that the gospel is living on the inside of us. And we have fully surrendered and we have fully died. Because in order to be born, something had to not have been alive first. That is what is the, the, the prerequisite of birth, is that it has to be something that is not alive. So, if all these things are burdensome to us, where is the disconnect? What is the disconnect that John is, is writing this letter to his people? Why is he even writing this letter to Christians? Why does he have to say this? The disconnect is, is finding the answer to point number three. Point number three is, if you have been born of God, you have overcome the world. If you have been born of God, you have overcome the world. Let's look at what verses four and five say. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is a deeply important question for us to answer as we wrap this sermon series up. As we've talked about learning how to love again. As we've talked about the distinguishing mark every single Sunday we've quoted John 13, 34 and 35. Every Sunday that the world will know who you belong to by the love that you have for one another. The the world will know that we are Christ's by the way we love Brothers and sisters in the family of faith. So why is it that the world needs to be overcome? This is the answer we have to have if we're going to walk out of here and having gotten what we need to have gotten out of this sermon series. John tells us a lot about the world. We've talked a ton about it in his gospel and in his epistle, in this first epistle. And it's that the world lies in opposition to God. That the world tells you you don't have to believe everything about Jesus and you can still be a Christian. The world tells you that you don't have to love God's children, you can just love God, right? That I can love God all by myself, that I can just go, uh, I can experience church anywhere in the world. That, That is not what the gospel says. And that is not what somebody who's been born of God will say. The world lies in the power of the evil one and hates your family. Satan hates your family. He hates that we're here together right now. He hates what's happening right now. The false teachers of the world are the ones confusing Christ's followers. That comes from the world. Nobody that is born of God is confusing other Christians and teaching them to hate their brothers. That is not Christ. That is Satan. We have been given a message of unity and love from the beginning. We've also been given a message of not peace but a sword... From the beginning as well, that does not mean you have a license to hate another Christian. It just doesn't work that way, friends. So God has sent his son Jesus for these expressed purposes. And we've seen that if we do the will of God, love the commandments of God, love our brother, that we will abide forever. It's what the Bible says. But the reason we need to overcome the world is we cannot love the world and love the Father at the same time. That our love cannot be divided that jesus is not just one other god it's not just adding a god into the multitude of gods that we're going to worship because the desires of the eyes the desires of the flesh the pride of life are going to continuously war against our devotion for jesus the bottom line is if i love the world i will feel oppressed by god i will feel oppression on my life from god if i love the world more than i love him and again these are hard truths to stomach but I think we can look at it from uh, a bit of an easier way. This this will be a little bit less threatening to you. So sorry if I've been threatening for thirty straight minutes. Um, but the word of God is threatening to our pride. So it's the Super Bowl today, right? And uh, how many of you uh, like Super Bowl parties? What's your favorite part about a Super Bowl party? The food, right? I heard food right away. Somebody is hungry right now. They're like, Pastor, I'm thinking about food already. Like, can you just wrap this up, right? Because I'm I'm trying to go eat this this Super Bowl party food, right? And we love Super Bowl party food, right? The carrots and the celery and the lettuce and the the low-calorie meals, the hummus and chickpeas. (laughs) Yes. All that stuff which is just not found at a Super Bowl party, right? What's found at a Super Bowl party is double fried chicken wings, cheese, five ways, hamburgers, grease everywhere. And that's what it's all about, right? That is, that is the beauty of eating Super Bowl party food, right? And if you eat it one day, one day a year, it's great. That's fine. It's cool. If you eat Super Bowl food as your diet consistently you're probably going to have a heart attack, right? It's a big problem to eat like this your whole life. So let's just imagine for a second that you do this for many, many years, and you've had a heart attack, and you go to the hospital, and there's this impossible sinner that they're probably a Christian, this sinner that comes into the hospital, and they come into the room, and they say, doctor's orders, lettuce, lean protein, soup for the rest of your life. You will find that oppressive instantly. You'll say, well, no, I want to eat the things I love. I want to eat double fried chicken wings. I want barbecue sauce all over my shirt and I don't want to feel bad about it. That's the kind of life I want to live. So you're going to find those orders oppressive because you love something else more. It's the same way when Christians try to tack on Jesus to the love of the flesh, to the love of the eyes, to the lust and pride of life. When we try and just tack on a little bit of Jesus to all the things we love about the world, we're ultimately going to feel oppressed. We're not going to be satisfied and God's not going to be satisfied. So as we look at that life, that is not a life that's going to work. It doesn't please anyone and many of us are so stuck loving the world many of us are so stuck with well nobody's going to take my freedoms away absolutely not and Jesus is like well hey remember when I died do you remember when all of my freedoms on this world were taken away and we're so we're so quick to say like well I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy and Jesus is like oh over here in the back do you remember Uh, When I was spit upon, do you remember when a crown of thorns was pushed into my head? For all of us, we have to understand what the real new birth actually means, what it means to actually die, to live. Because Christianity is not, Ryan wasn't a great guy, so let's add the gospel to Ryan and now Ryan 2.0 is here. I'm a better Ryan. That's not Christianity. Christianity is Ryan was dead to sin, walking in his trespasses, and he had to die, all the way die, to truly live. That is what the new birth is. That is what somebody being born of God is, is that the old self has died. Not, I'm just, and even the pain dies of the old self. It's not just like, well, I don't. Uh, drink, smoke, or chew, or run with girls who do. Come on, how many real Baptists we got out here? Right, okay, all right, that's okay. (laughs) I'll never get sick of saying that. I just, I love it. It's not just that stuff that dies, right? It's not just, oh, I I drink three beers instead of six beers every night, It's not that. It's everything about you dies. You are dead, and Christ lives in you. The real birth of God, the real new birth, is it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It doesn't leave room for loving the world and then loving the Father when it's convenient for me. Or when I'm not mad. Or when I'm not triggered. That is not the new birth. And what we have to say is if we've had a heart attack from all the Super Bowl food, ultimately what we do is we turn from it because we say yeah I like how it tastes but it's killing me and we have to look at the world in the same way yeah you know I like whenever you know that guy calls me or that girl calls me it's cool every month but it's killing you or you know I'm I'm not gonna give any of my money to the church why does the church always want my money or why why should I go on a mission trip to tell somebody else about Jesus can't they learn the way I did It will feel oppressive to us because that's the worldliness inside of us that has to die all the way dead. And what we have to come to grips with is, I like how it tastes, but it's killing me. So I'm going to set it down, repent, and run towards Christ. So if the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life are controlling our life friend I'm going to invite you to trade the truth for a lie right that because the truth of Christ has come into our life and we've traded it for the lies that the world gives us that the world telling you it's going to be you're going to get this temporary you're going to get all this pleasure everything you want I'm going to give to you the world's going to give it to us and then it's all going to go away so we've traded the truth of Christ for the lie that the world gives us satisfaction but we need to retrade that We need to trade the lies of the world back into the world and say, you take this, you keep this, this is killing me. I want the truth of Christ because I've been born of God and I believe that Jesus is exactly who the scripture says he is. But if God, his children, and the commandments are oppressive to you, they feel burdensome to you, then perhaps you haven't been born of God. Perhaps you've been coming to church your whole life, and maybe you haven't really received the gospel, the gospel which gives you actual freedom because you die. This is the beauty we all have to understand. This is the thing that would cause us to praise God if we have experienced this. The new birth makes us a child of God. Death and rebirth. It is, it is this falling in love with Jesus that we need to have over and over and over and over again. The worship team's going to come back up and we're going to sing that song. We're going to sing falling in love with Jesus because that is what we need, friends. That's what we need, church. And, and right now we're, we're going to go off script for just a couple minutes, okay? Uh, we're going to talk about what we really need to hear at this church. What we really need to hear at this church is that we don't get to have it our way and have it God's way. It does not work that way. It's not Burger King, right? You don't get to just pull, drive through and say, I want it like this and here's how I want it and when I want it. And if I don't get it like this, what am I gonna do? You're gonna go to another church. That's typically what happens. If we have been called here as spiritual family on mission, and I believe y'all have been, This is not the easiest church to come to, right? I get it. We have to trade the lies of the world back in for the truth of Christ. And the lies of the world of I'm the most righteous person in every room I'm in. Get rid of that. Trade that back in. Christ is the most righteous person in every room you're ever in. Look to him. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to validate yourself. We can't pick and choose all the the little pet doctrines that we want to adopt and say, well, I don't like how they say this or how they say that or or this, that, or the third. If you believe in Jesus and you love the children of God and his commandments are not burdensome, then you have overcome all the things that the world is, is pushing onto you. And it doesn't mean that the world gets better. It doesn't mean that it gets fixed miraculously. It doesn't mean that all the things that you've been talking down to, wherever you've been talking down to them, or you've been propping up your own righteousness, wherever you're propping up your own righteousness, it doesn't mean everything gets better. It means God changes you. He doesn't always change the thing. He can change everything. But more often than not, he changes us. That's how we've overcome the world, that when the things of the world are no longer the the stick in our spoke, when the things of the world are no longer the stick in the mud that we can't get around, that's how we know we've overcome the world, because we've been born of God, and we're focusing on the kingdom. We're focusing on the first things, and that is Christ. But for so many of us, me, myself, right, me, I I can't live the, the way that I've lived anymore. I I can't live where somebody's got to spend an hour with me before they find out I'm a Christian. That's not the witness the world needs. My neighbors know I'm a Christian because they call me pastor, but they don't know I'm a Christian, they know I'm a pastor. We all got to do it, every one of us, because what the world needs is a culture that is alive and on fire for Christ. To see what the real Christ is and what the real church looks like. And it's not just showing up for 90 minutes a week. I love when people come to church. I'm not, I'm not, I'm really not, I'm trying not to get down on anybody at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. If God's convicting you, let Him convict you, right? That, that's what it is. But, but what we need, what the world needs, what the east side of Pontiac needs, what Oakland County needs, and, and it will reverberate to the ends of the earth because Jesus did it with 12 people. He can do it with 300 that have been here today. They need. Not a perfect example, but an alive example. And you cannot be alive until you've been born. Born again. By knowing who Jesus is and what his gospel says. By loving God the Father and the children. That's how you overcome the world. Because then the commandments are a joy to you. It becomes I love you so I won't let you. Not you don't get to. I love you so much I'm not going to let you do these things. So for each of us. It all goes back to one thing, love. Because we'll do crazy things for love, amen? Because when we love somebody, there's almost nothing we won't do for them. So we're going to sing this song of falling in love with Jesus. Because that's what we have to do. Jesus doesn't need us to do anything for him. God's not like, oh man, if if he just would have had a better week, my kingdom would have been better. God's got it. He's going to do it. But we have to fall in love with Jesus. Not just we, me, not I'm falling in love with you, Jesus. No, we collectively are falling in love with you, Jesus, as your bride, as your church, as your sons and daughters, as one family that is going to love one another and is going to love everybody that has been born of you because that is what we've been called into, church. That is what this whole series has been about. We've said the same thing for five straight weeks. (laughs) It's just looked a little bit different. But it's been the same message for five straight weeks. So if we can get this today about falling in love with Jesus. And I pray that these are more than just words, more than just, I'm singing so my neighbor might hear me. But if you believe that falling in love with Jesus is the best thing you've ever done, then you've been born of God. If this is all a burden to you and you're like, you've gone over on time, three minutes, Pastor, I'm done, then then perhaps we haven't been born of God because we'll want him. We'll want the worship together with his people. We'll want the sweetness. We won't ever want this stuff to end. And I get it, we have places to go. I'm not trying to get down on anybody's schedule, right? We're all busy. But this is it. Falling in love with Jesus as a family, this is it. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever done. There is no place that's safer. There is no place that's better. There is no place where I can thrive more than in love with Jesus. So I want to invite us all to our feet. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to worship. We're going to celebrate in worship. And if God is convicting your heart right now, let him do it. Don't, don't turn it off. Don't hide your tears. Cry him. Let him go. Whatever's got to happen, let God do it right now. Let him do it in your heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We need you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, please speak to us now. Bring us back to you, Jesus. Teach us how to fall in love with you over and over and over again. Because we can't love ourselves and love you fully. We just have to love you, Jesus. Because you've loved us better than I can even love myself. So I pray I would give my life over to you over and over again. I pray that for all of us up under the sound of my voice right now, that we would experience what you're doing in our hearts, we would experience what you're doing in our minds, and we would receive it from you, Jesus. That we would receive your Holy Spirit's indwelling, your Holy Spirit's power, as you minister to us in the secret place. The place that my words can't reach. The place that that nothing that happened here today can reach. The place that only you can see and you can reach, Holy Spirit of the living God. Do it now for your glory as we fall in love with you, Jesus. As we sing this song, as we sing this praise to you, we confess our love for you. And we pray that you would do something miraculous, something that only you could take the credit for. We love you. We praise you. We trust you. Receive our worship as a sweet fragrance and aroma right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, we do pray. Let's give him praise. Let's worship him now, church. Let's give him everything we have.